Welcome to the Mobile Arcade Club, a podcast about playing cool mobile games with friends, especially those featured on Apple Arcade. I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this episode we'll be talking about our New Year's gaming resolutions, the Mosaic, and Takeshi and Hiroshi. Welcome, arcade friends, to another episode of the Mobile Arcade Club. Episode number seven, in fact, which first one for 2020, first one for the decade, Stephen. How does that feel? New decade, new me, new podcast. No, same podcast, but it'll be better than it has been before because we renewed effort and all that jazz. Indeed, all those arbitrary goals thanks to the uh, you know revolution around the sun and all that jazz. Hashtag pod goals. Yes, Okay, now that we've got that cringe out of the way, <laughs> I, I almost feel after after that sort of intro, I've got to, I've got to toss this one away. I can't actually say this now, but I was actually going to ask if you have enjoyed the Mobile Arcade Club, please consider leaving a review for us on Podchaser, uh, Podchaser dot com. That is Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcast from. I mean, if you're feeling so generous, um, all the above. Yeah. It's a good uh, good free way to support us and uh, gives us the warm fuzzies to keep going, um, even though we sometimes produce horrendously cringeworthy uh, content uh, as uh, as heard in your ear holes 30 seconds prior. Look, um, it, gets, it gets good, I promise. Yes, it does. It does <laughs> indeed. And I think now that we're, we're here in the new year, let's, let's go something a little bit cliche and uh, we'll... We'll go into, do we have any gaming or specific mobile games New Year's resolutions? I'll, I'll start with you, Stephen. Do you, do you have any that you're hoping to tick off or plan to do in the year 2020? I think for me it will be play more games through to actual proper completion on Apple Arcade. Mm. Like I've played through a lot of them. And I have finished a lot of them, but so many I sort of especially play for the show i'll play through more than enough to you know get an idea of how much i'm going to enjoy it and hopefully speak somewhat uh informatively about it we can hope but um yeah there have been a few gosh neocab from like our first main proper episode mm. i said i'd go back and get some you know get an ending i never did i need to do that because that game was fantastic what i played of it so yeah i need to go back and finish neocab at least once that's my resolution for the year I'm I'm much the same as well. Um, I think I think it's so easy to get caught in the trap, especially with a subscription service like Apple Arcade. And I do the exact same thing with Xbox Game Pass as well. Is that because there are so many games to choose from, I dive into so many different ones on a surface, or maybe you know scratch a little bit below the surface, but actually finish very few of them. Mm. Um, and Neocab's an interesting example because I did uh, complete one ending, but I'd be keen to go back with sort of more fresh eyes and try and get a different ending and see how much it varied. Uh, but also, I think I think that's the case with a lot of narrative games is I want to mm-hmm. get through to the end and see them through because as as recent as last episode, we were talking about Guildlings yes. and that's uh, that's an episodic-based uh, game with only sort of the first episode out now. Um, I didn't quite get through to finishing it, so I'd be keen to see it through to the end and see see where it sort of goes story-wise. Mm, where things finish off and, you know, gives you good grounding to start the next episode when whenever that comes out. I'm not sure the schedule, but, you know, it'd be... You wouldn't really be able to start that until you finish the first one, I imagine. Indeed, indeed. Well, I suppose it's it's ready when it's ready because mm. 
the the first chunk of what they they gave us, uh, you know, us being Apple Arcade <laughs> subscribers, uh, was pretty dang good. Yeah, so fairly hefty, fairly fairly nice to play. Indeed. So moving on from Guildlings, I say we get stuck into the first game that we've been playing over the last fortnight. The uh, this one in particular is a game called uh, Takashi and Hiroshi by Oink Games who are based in Japan, and they're quite a a charming little studio. They've done quite a few things, haven't they, Stephen? Yeah, it looked like I did a little bit of research into this because, yeah, I was quite impressed with the game and kind of wanted to see what else they'd done, and turns out lots and lots of board games and card games. Yeah, lots of cool tabletop uh, card games. It looks like lots of games that are well suited to a a party environment and for Mm. short play sessions, so... Gee, if uh, if someone catch my eye, I might have to look at importing some from Japan because they uh, they look pretty fun. Yeah, gosh, I might go halves with you. Let's talk about that after the show. <laughs> Indeed, but uh, of course, Takashi and Hiroshi, uh, the Apple Arcade game. Gee, the first thing that really strikes you is that it is an adorable game. It, it is absolutely yeah. adorable. It just yeah, from the moment from the word go, it's just like this looks so just adorably endearing. Like the the visual style that they've used, it's sort of like stop motion it it almost looks like claymation but it's clearly not made of clay there was a lot Mm. of texture to a lot of the like materials used you could see you know there was fabric on certain other things on people's desks or on people's clothing Mm. but like the characters um you know skin would not look realistic it's you know very cartoony but little elements of uh yeah of that texture kind of weirdly reminded me of like the the kirby and yoshi games recently where they've had that uh like the woolly textures and the, I guess it is, yeah, woolly textured stuff. And it's been, yeah, it was very, very, very pretty. That just just struck me immediately. I think the, the recent Kirby games in particular is a, is a particularly good example because I think one of them, I can't remember which one off the top of my head, did have a very plasticine style yes. to it. And I think that uh, here with uh, Takeshi and uh, Hiroshi, I think that's particularly a an apt uh, sort of, uh, comparison because mm. of that sort of as you say claymation style which is is very very cute but it's not just the art style that's cute it's got a very very wholesome concept to it in that you're you're sort of playing primarily from the perspective of older brother Takashi mm. who considers himself he's, he's a middle schooler who considers himself a bit of a, a game programmer a bit of a whiz game programmer he considers himself <laughs> yeah yeah and he uh, he sort of excites his younger brother Hiroshi uh, with the games that he creates and he wants to to play um, Hiroshi that is wants to play the, the games created by his older brother but none of these games are actually finished or in any playable state so the, the kicker is that in order to try and entertain his younger brother, Takeshi actually sort of programs the game live Mm. uh, as um, Hiroshi plays them in terms of sort of almost, uh, almost in sort of like a multiplayer type way, but without his younger brother knowing. So it's sort of like, oh, here, here's... Here's the game on the uh, the iPad or whatever tablet, and I'll I'll just be on my computer here doing uh, homework. Do, doing homework, mm. where he's, he's actually sort of programming or reacting live to what his younger brother's doing in the game. Yeah, I found it just so 
oh, so heartwarming in the way that is you know at the towards the beginning of the game the younger brother um Hiroshi comes in and says oh that looks like really exciting game I'd like to give it a try and the first response is oh it's not quite finished but then he's thinking maybe I could just make it as we go and that would be really a nice thing to do for my little brother and mm. oh, it's such so heartwarming such a nice wholesome game in that way yeah and as as for the the game within the game now mm. what, what's it called again mighty warrior i think yes yeah, yeah. so the the game um within takashi and uh, hiroshi uh is is known as mighty warrior and it plays like a, a little bit of a, a turn-based uh sort of a turn-based combat role-playing game in terms yeah. of you have your 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 stats like your, your health and how much damage you deal and your little character levels up and gets stronger as you go um but the the, the kicker is that instead of playing as the the hero or the protagonist as such is that as the older brother takeshi mm. you're programming or choosing the enemies that his younger brother has to fight against and you've got to there's an interesting delicate system at play where you've got to try and balance the challenge of the combination and amount of enemies that you throw at your younger brother without overwhelming um, him. Yeah, without overwhelming him and causing a game over which, you know, you need to sort of restart from the start. But then you also can't go too far the other way otherwise he'll get bored mm. because uh the the indicator is that you're aiming to uh rack up a set amount of joy points yes which uh Stephen, i'll i'll let you you explain a little bit about this yeah i mean the the joy points as you were sort of saying is when they will the game yeah when you're going through and fighting things or your brother's going through and fighting things they will the challenge tra- translates into sort of i think they called it frustration stress, or so, stress yeah. yeah yeah stress levels during the game which if they become too much and you die that's when you know you've sort of failed that area mm. but when you complete it stress translates into joy and i found that a really interesting sort of commentary on game design itself a little bit it's you know boiled it down to its perfect like essence but it's really a game about designing games and i just found that concept really really interesting well it's it's quite interesting and also i can't remember if this was a discussion that we had on air or off air but Mm. i recall you saying not that long ago about your experience with uh, sekiro um Mm. shadows die twice in that you were stuck on a boss for so long and it caused you so Mm. much stress and you were beating your head against the brick wall for for days on end trying to beat this boss. Days and days. So I suppose you're the Hiroshi in this sense (laughs) and from software are Takeshi and you're you're building up so much stress trying to to beat this enemy (laughs) and then once you finally did beat it, just it's, immense amounts of joy. It, it, it did because you you were positively glowing talking about your experience afterwards. Mm. So it's a, it is an interesting meta commentary on, on game design and the actual playing of games as well. Mm. And I feel like this game it was almost sort of educational in that way because the way that you design the game to play, you'll have a, a selection of monsters that you can create for each encounter. And so each of the ones that the hero has to fight through, I think usually there's five encounters per chapter and they'll have to fight through each of them, build up enough stress into joy that they'll get a certain amount of joy by the end of the Mm. whole sequence, and that uh, escalates as you go on. And so playing around, learning 
the attack patterns and behaviors of each of the monsters that you can put down, the order in which you put them down, mm. because some will, say, for example, there'll be some that attack from range but are quite weak to any attack. Mm. And so those ones, you, know, you might want to put those behind some defending th- things so that they'll have a chance to actually attack Hiroshi um yeah before they immediately die mm. and there were things that there were like an explosive one where when it when it dies it will damage both the character and all of the other monsters around the place mm. and there were just so many different toys to play around with i guess as far as designing these encounters to i mean it does make it quite simple in that it's just you know how fresh or how stressful is it then it becomes joy when you get to the end of it but I did find it really interesting to to balance that. You want to make sure you give them a challenge without it being just... You want to get it so it's so close to death but not quite, and that's mm. where you get the biggest benefits. And I found that super, super compelling. I, I pretty much played this all in one one sitting, really. I just kept going. It was not so challenging at any point that it was you know going to put me off it. And it's nice and short, like a length that I found really yep. satisfying. It didn't outstay its welcome because as much variety as there is in a lot of their monsters and the encounters you can design. I don't know that I would have wanted to play it for another hour longer than I did. It's sort of, it doesn't outstay its welcome, but it is long enough that it, you know, you feel like you get used to the systems and it's really a yeah, pleasant experience the whole time. 100% agreed on, on all of those points, particularly the, the sort of uh, how, how long the experience lasts because in between each of these gameplay uh, sort of encounters there's these little um i'm not sure whether you'd call them skits or you know little little yeah. cut little cut scenes little vignettes yeah that, that sort of give you a bit of a story uh, about sort of the relationship between uh, takeshi and hiroshi and also takeshi's uh, couple of schoolmates as well mm. and um um th- there's a decent amount of character development and i'm i'm yeah. glad that there is because about halfway through, I was thinking, Takeshi's a bit of a douche. Yeah, he he's a little bit. Uh, I don't can't think of a better word, but yes, he's a little bit uh, self in not self indulged, self involved, self centered. Yeah, he's yeah. a little, he's a bit of a mean guy. Sometimes is would be hard to be friends with, but thankfully that's not necessarily how things stay. Yeah, uh, that that being said, I think it is a, a pretty a pretty good representation of a, a middle schooler, you know, yes, teen yeah. teen who thinks they know the world and all that sort of thing. Like, but, oh, look, uh, there's someone else who does the thing I enjoy. We can't have that. That's competition. <laughs> no, no, they they couldn't possibly be better than me. But I did really like I think even though he can at at points seem a little bit like a gremlin at school, like you could always tell there was this this bond everything he was doing was to try and encourage his little brother through some difficult times Mm. and it just felt it just felt so lovely it was all so very encouraging and nice just the brotherly bond was it was there and i loved it yes it was it was very cute and one thing i did concern myself with quite early in the game is if if you recall at the end of the last podcast Mm. i think we we ended on uh, a little bit of a downer in tone and uh, we were hoping that uh, takeshi and hiroshi would be an experience on the opposite end of that emotional spectrum Mm. and uh, then i was fearful that i jinxed that by saying (laughs) that something tragic would happen and early in the piece here in takeshi and hiroshi something a little bit dramatic does happen and Mm. i'm thinking oh is this going to get a little bit darker than i actually thought but um without spoiling things no it, it does 
I think there's there's adequate sort of drama and mm. conflict to be an interesting story, but uh, thankfully it's uh, it's it's, not, it's it's light in tone. <laughs> yes, it's not one that's going to just push you to a bout of depression or anything like that. It's it's not so uh, yeah, not soul crushing by any stretch. <laughs> no, no, which. Um, can't be said for the other game that we played, but we'll, we'll get to that shortly. I, mm. I, before we do move on to the mosaic, I did want to ask, was there anything about Takeshi in Hiroshi that you thought could be improved or that didn't quite gel with you? I think most of it, I I didn't find much of it that I didn't enjoy, but I think the, the one thing, I guess it, you could, I could see it as a, a downside to the game or I could see it as a you know, something that you're a tool that you're meant to design around. But there was one particular kind of enemy. It was a big orc thing. Mm. And the amount of damage it seemed to do seemed somewhat random or Mm. maybe it got critical hits more regularly. I know a lot of it was about taking that into account, I guess. But most of the times that I died in later chapters were where, wait, how did that do so much damage to me? And then it just kind of felt a little bit out of my control. But that uh, I don't know, yeah, if you're meant to just design with that taken into account or not but yeah that that got me more than i would have liked yeah that was one of the the irks that i i had with takeshi and hiroshi was that there there did seem to be at times a little bit of an over-reliance on the old random number generator Mm. Uh, and i did find that it wasn't just that enemy that you mentioned i found that it was pretty universal across most of the enemies that sometimes the the damage values that they could impart on your health could vary by as much as five points, which Mm. um, is pretty significant uh, come the, especially the end of the game. So there were times where I felt that some of my victories or some of my big big joy bonuses that I um, gave Hiroshi was... uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit random and a little bit lucky, but I, I didn't think it was significant enough to really detract from the overall experience. And I think they do give you some tools to potentially counteract some of that randomness. In that, there's like a dodge button and a critical attack button, so that mm. if you you think, oh gosh, maybe I've made this a little bit too hard, you can press a button that will guarantee that the next move will miss or the next attack will be a critical one, and that gave you a little bit of leeway to. I guess, uh, pull back if you've maybe pushed a bit too far in in making a difficult encounter for for your younger brother. I I quite like that as a way to make it more active as well. You're not just purely setting up an encounter and watching it happen. You can also have some impact on how that plays out if you, you know, just just this little, you know, invisible hand that can help along the way was Mm. nice. And I felt that even during some of the closing encounters that, those those bonus actions that you could take some of them only once per turn or some of them more or less frequently uh that they didn't uh they didn't ruin the balancing of the game either it still no. it still retained a good challenge as well so i thought that was that was pretty well implemented yeah um but yeah as as we were saying takeshi and hiroshi not a soul crushing not a depressing experience no but you know what is the mosaic <laughs> uh, oh my word oh, um the Mosaic uh, comes from Krillbyte Studio, a, uh, a studio based in Norway, and it's published by Raw Fury, who uh, you may remember as the, uh, the publisher of Bad North, mm. a strategy game that we spoke about on a bonus episode uh, a, about a month ago. Um, yeah, the, the Mosaic, it, sort of the, 
The broad premise is that it's a, a bit of a depiction of someone who's living in sort of a dystopian corporate environment, you know, a bit, a bit Orwellian in, in nature in terms of you're just another cog in the machine, everything a little is... A uh, neo-cabin mood and style, I feel. Yeah, although... Maybe even to a greater degree. It's very, very bleak, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. Um, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one because, yeah, you do play as this this one person and, and control them sort of throughout their, their day-to-day work schedule because mm. there's not really much to their life beyond that. Yeah, it's sort of, you really get into that groove very early on. It's sort of a wake up, go to work, come home, sleep, wake up, go to work and... Yeah, it, it's very, very good at um, making you feel very bleak and horrible <laughs> about the the situation that we find our character in. And not only that, but the mosaic is filled with what I found to be a lot of great flavor texts mm. in terms of so the whoever was responsible for all of the the flavor text and sort of the how it all sort of plays into uh, the way you interact with sort of this corporate dystopia um they've they've done a bang up job because mm. you're you're able to you know most of the time check uh, check your phone sort of you know on on your way to work or as before you uh, sort of get out of bed or that sort of thing and on your phone you've got various things like the latest news topics which are all some of them are advertorials for you know very obviously corporate goods that don't look too good for you but they're they're you know they're advertised heavily they're advertised heavily saying oh you know want to get more productive at work take this tablet or something and all this jazz and then there are Mm -hmm. other things like uh talking about urban developments you know just demolishing the last playground in existence to make way for another set of prison-like apartment blocks uh just you know just to scratch the surface a little bit and then there's your your messages and, oh gosh and the yeah messages these, those that, hit me like a like a truck sometimes oh, far out like, and, and they're messages you can't respond to either mm. because I, I believe the game sort of forces that you don't have time to respond to all this because yeah. you've only got time to be productive and to go to work and you've got no life outside of that there was one at the very beginning that you know just talking about losing losing track of a friend essentially Mm. and just you know you're not putting in the effort to maintain the friendship that kind of vibe and gosh i feel like that can happen to the best of us Mm. you know without really trying but far out it just in the overall bleakness of this game's aesthetic and just everything going on in the game that really there was so much about this game that really hit home for me it sort of Mm. was a very abstract and a lot of metaphor they played with, mm. but I feel there was enough grounding that, gosh, there were a few things here. I was like, oh, I hate how much I can relate to certain things in this game. It was painfully sort of accurate at depicting emotions that we've all felt at some point, especially those of us who have worked at offices and uh, similar workplaces and, and that sort of thing. And, the, the interesting thing is that uh, the, the section of the game where you do go to work and you're, you're doing work is it's, um, yeah, they've, they've used a lot of that sort of corporate jargon into yes. the work and that sort of stuff in terms of uh, your, your, your work involves completing a little sort of 
hexagonal or you sort of got to yeah. build a path up to a, a milestone yes. i guess and you use you gather resources to to build those uh yeah hexagonal paths up to up to your milestone and it's i don't know if this says something about me but i found the work segments of this game to be the most interesting and sort of fun part i guess it's the most gamey part of the game yeah yeah it was i quite liked how it played with some it, it was abstract enough that you could probably read into it whatever you wanted. But mm. I am someone who does work in the sort of corporate structure where, you know, people are often referred to as resources and mm. we're working towards a milestone. And I could see there were, as you build up in this hexagonal grid, there'll be sometimes these blocker sort of things that you can't build through and you don't see them until you're close enough to them that they become a problem. Mm. And that just reminds me of so many, you know, blockers in a project, for example. It just oh, felt very... Uh, I can see a lot of the things happening in here are things that I deal with on a daily basis at work. And gosh, there was even... At a certain point, they start to bring in these... I think they were green cloudy things that mm. sort of represent distraction. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking far out that you kind of have to put enough resources into that distraction to stop it being a distraction yes and it yeah it was extremely well done in how it represented all of these abstract concepts about modern corporate work i i really enjoyed it and i once again hate (laughs) hate saying that it was it's very well designed at making me consider the way that work happens for a lot of people in our current day (laughs) Well, it's also interesting because in those puzzle sections where you're pooling resources and building more units, so to speak, to be able to harvest more resources, is that along the bottom of, of this, this sort of uh, X-plane of this, this puzzle uh, that you're working on, uh, you see you know, little, little trees or that sort of thing, and by expanding and creating new buildings, you're knocking down and demolishing these trees to then, mm. then pull more resources towards the milestones. So it's Gosh, all... I didn't even read it that way. That, I feel like given the shape of those tree-ish things, I think that is a very valid reading, but I sort of read it in a way that the more resources you need, the more resources you need to put into getting those extra resources and you really had it was harder and harder to get more the further you had to pull Mm. out and i imagine that's not too far off the life of a project manager you need more resources the more you need the harder it's going to be to get them it's yeah I, i love how interpretable this game is there's a lot of uh a lot of fun little things that you can find your own meaning in depending on how you read it. There's there's a lot of things that, as, as you've said, serve as metaphors. And I think there's a lot of things, uh, especially like the, the puzzle segment of the mosaic. Um, there's, there's other things that I think also serve as sort of allegories of the real world as well uh mm. on on your phone there's there's a a clicker game called uh blip blop oh, yeah blip blop <laughs> or blop blip whatever it's called blip-blop-blop. And um, yeah, it's it's just a clicker game that you can play whenever you've got access to your phone, and all it is is just tapping a button, and then once you get enough blips or blops or whatever the in-game currency is, you can uh, get upgrades to automatically collect blips, <laughs> or increase the rate at which you accrue blips, or that sort of thing. And as you know, you can get in-game achievements for doing this, mm. but I think it also serves as a a bit of an allegory for again sort of the uh the mundanity of um sort of how we spend our day-to-day lives yeah, and just uh, distills these things that we often do to their purest core and 
in doing so kind of exposes how mundane and mindless it can sometimes be that we don't often notice that because there's you know explosions and lights and sounds coming out of our phone it feels good but if you yeah distill it down to its essence gosh there's not a lot going on sometimes and i found that there's another app you can get there's a sort of a tinder like app mm. called love and that was very it did much the same thing in how it uh I don't know. I'm someone who has, you know, done my share of swiping in my day, and the way this game represents that interaction, <laughs> it it's maybe not too far off how it eventually ends up becoming. The longer you spend on that app, it's I don't want to give too much away because it's something that's very cool to discover. But yeah, it's this game is very good at distilling things down to their essence and making me feel really uncomfortable about what that exposes <laughs> yeah the the amount of commentaries and uh meta observations that the mosaic makes on the real world is a little bit too real uh at times but th- the interesting thing is that it's not always bleak mm. is that there there are certain things especially if you navigate off the beaten path say uh, if you ignore the the line of gray faceless commuters or people uh, heading towards work, you can discover some little little hidden oasis mm. areas uh, that uh, provide a bit of a bit of color and a bit of uh, a bit of to to a steal bit of a life almost yeah and to steal a term from Takeshi and Hiroshi a little bit of joy yeah. um, that um, you're able to engage with and uh, as part of this as you play along in the mosaic there are. There are a bunch of surreal or moments of surrealism that occur, which mm. sometimes you're not quite sure if it's like lucid dreaming or whether it's uh, you're you're finding a way to to break the uh, sort of the the grey grey monotony. Yeah, the the sort of you know cog in the machine, you know, slave to the man sort of thing, mm. um, which yeah does does provide some some interesting things. And there's also there's also some dialogue you have with an unlikely companion um, along the way. Yes, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking which, about, and that's yeah, unusual. Which, which it, it almost, but not quite, breaks the fourth wall. A little I th- bit. I think in terms of how much it it relates or how much it resonates with you, because it, this this companion, they ask questions of you in terms of, okay, well, you're not happy. What why? are you doing about it? Yeah, why Why do you continue to do things that make you unhappy? And it just sort of, mm. it's asking the character in the game these questions, but, you know, depending on how relatable you're finding this character's plight, you can take it as a personal question, potentially. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say two things to, to, um, to sort of put this point into context mm. so i i have not finished the mosaic in its entirety we actually spoke about this off air and yeah. that's um we play we both played a fair chunk of the mosaic in one sitting and we actually got to a point where we realized we we can't play this anymore we yeah. we've got to remove ourselves and take a break from playing this because it got too it got too real it it demands a lot of emotional energy i say mm. it's it's one for me i i think it's incredible in how effective it is at you know pulling these sort of emotional strings and making you think about your own life but in doing so it's something that i i would like to stretch it out over a you know a couple of days a couple of mm. weeks rather than it, it's definitely not one to to slam your way through and probably on that note it might be one to 
to be aware that if I don't know if if anything we've talked about might you know bring up some you know potential issues for you maybe it might not be the best thing to play if unless you're in a particularly good frame of mind when you're playing it because it is it's almost brutal in how uh how sharply it can make commentary in that way and that's that, that's something i'd like to touch on a little bit um in in a minute um but in the meantime the the, the second uh, component to um uh, what I'll sort of say after admitting that I have not actually finished the game in its mm. entirety is that one of the interesting things about some of the conversations you have with this companion, I think they they present some you know good questions, some very harrowing questions, mm-hmm. but uh, it, some of that sort of feels a little bit surface level. It sort of feels like that that meme that goes around a fair bit where. Uh, you see these peasants who are, you know, <laughs> working under the, you know, what under is it, the, the pro- proletariat sort of class and that sort of thing, and they're saying, oh, you know, this this sucks. You know, we've we've got to improve society, and then some, you know, some very smart person, <laughs> some smug person pops out of nowhere and says, hmm, interesting, but yet you put, you participate in society. Mm. Yes, you say you don't like it, yet you're part of it. Mm. Yes, mm. which which ignores a lot of the societal uh, conditions and a lot of the um, a lot of the the other factors that uh, contribute to well how the, inescapable it can be well, yeah the reason we participate in a capitalist society is that well we actually have to earn money to live yes you know even <laughs> there's to, no avoiding it i don't know if this might be where the game goes but even to to be able to create change whether in a society or in oneself often you'll need to participate in the current way the world is before you can make any change to it or yourself because you need the resources to be able to do that so mm. yes it's it, I imagine things will go a little bit less surface level to begin with because mm. I think I, as far as I got, it didn't seem, it seemed fairly uh, introductory, mm. sort of uh, prologue-esque almost in how it went. But uh, I'll be interested to see over a longer period of time mm. if this maybe grapples with some questions with a bit more depth than it does in the initial sections. Yes, yes. And returning to the, the point that you were making about sort of some of the the emotions that uh, the mosaic uh, can can conjure, uh, for, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. is that the, the mosaic is a game that deeply resonated with me on, on various levels because I, I am someone who has a, has a history of anxiety and depression and that's something that I've struggled with for a number of years. And part of that has, mean, uh, has meant that I've actually struggled to hold down sort of a what would be considered a standard office mm. nine-to-five job. And, you know, that um, that actually rings true at the moment. I'm actually in between roles at the moment because, you know, some of this stuff has has really, you know, got me in some pretty pretty tight spots and some pretty bad places. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm doing okay now, but, yeah, I, it, it does really make me reflect on sort of how, how do I want to try and spend my time? You know, how, how do I want to try and make a living? Mm. But also, how do I actually want to make sure that I don't 
destroy myself in the process. Yes, yeah, and that's yeah, definitely something that you can very clearly see. This game makes it so clear the potential results cost. The the imagery in this game was just incredibly striking. The you know, you're the one person with a you know, with white clothing who is walking in this sea of faceless grey figures mm. and it's it's yeah powerful in in the images that it can evoke in in my mind i i was just taking green screenshots constantly because it's it's darkly beautiful in that way i mm. guess oh it, it is it is the, the way that they've depicted things and because because of that 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 also means that those moments of sort of finding the hidden oasis mm. they they are really impactful because they they use such strong and warm and bright colors, yes. which is such a juxtaposition on the rest of the game. So when when these uh, these moments of whether it's clarity or discovery or Even creativity, yeah, yeah, it, it really it really stands out. So yeah, the the, the visual design for the mosaic is, is certainly very striking uh, in in various ways. But I think. To, to round to round things out, mm-hmm. the mosaic is a very difficult game to recommend. It's not a game that you would recommend someone for a conventional fun in inverted commas yeah. time. This this is not a game that you play for for fun or to switch off. This is this is a game that you play uh, or dare I say experience mm. for for its message and for its uh, its commentary explorations and mm. I guess it's more you know not to wade too deeply into the our games art they are um, argument mm. but just sort of as a game that you play I feel more for the for the art of what the game is and what it's trying to say you're not trying to play it for a game design necessarily mm. it's more it's using game as a vehicle for yeah, thematic exploration more so than it is for you know mechanics and high scores and you know normal game stuff quote unquote yeah and i think that that also makes me be uh sort of considerate of what the apple arcade service as a whole is is trying to do in terms of introducing a lot of these different types of game experiences to, to people who may not previously have considered these sort of games. Like, the Mosaic is also available on PC. It's on Steam. I checked oh. before. But this um, is likely something I wouldn't have previously you know, given a shot mm. had it not been on Apple Arcade. And I think comparing and contrasting the Mosaic against Takeshi and Hiroshi is that they are both... While Takeshi and Hiroshi has sort of conventional gameplay elements to it. Mm. They're not conventional games as such. They're both games that approach their respective subject matter and more traditional gameplay elements in subversive ways, mm. which I think is a glowing endorsement of what Apple uh, Apple Arcade is doing. And I think it's, it's really great that we're able to have such diverse experiences on the one service and platform. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, as you say, it lets you dive into these games without, you know, I if I had to pay, I don't know, $10, $15 for, yeah, for something like the Mosaic, it's probably, it'd be a hard sell for me to say, hey, mm. pay this money and feel bad about playing it. It's, like, it's not a great <laughs> sales pitch, but when it's part of a service that you can just access whenever, it suddenly makes these things much more accessible, much more, uh, you're 
more willing to jump into it and even if it's not going to be something that gets the endorphins going it's mm. you'll still be able to give it a try without paying extra for it let's say it's it makes it much easier to jump into because yeah, because on on that note about paying you know upwards of $15 or whatever for the mosaic you know pay $15 to feel bad yeah. you know, which which i think is is perhaps you know the same sort of thing can be said for some movies like uh, you know pay <laughs> yes. pay 15 or whatever dollars to go see Schindler's List or whatever mm. back in the day and i don't think you're going to have a a happy time watching that. Yes, it's hard. It will, must have been hard to market that movie. <laughs> oh, goodness. I think the Academy Awards probably helped. But, yeah, uh, true. Yeah, like, you know, speaking about the mosaic, I've got in my notes here, Workplace Depression, the game, Oof. which, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's very real. <laughs> so, yeah, with that glowing recommendation. Uh... <laughs> but, yes, no, definitely, definitely worth experiencing. Uh, but do bear in mind, it's not one to play if you're wanting a uh, something to switch off and have fun mm. with. It's something that if you're looking for something to actively engage the mind with, mm. then yeah, definitely the mosaic is worth your time. 100%. But yes, now that we've got that out of the way, we've... Uh, Take a deep breath. Yeah. <sighs> I think I might uh, brew another cup of tea after this, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, next next Fortnite's games on the Mobile Arcade Club are we, we've gone for two. Yeah, as we like to do, we've gone for two very different games in terms of hmm. gameplay styles and themes as well. So one of them is a game that you spoke about uh, briefly in the very first episode of the Mobile Arcade Club. Yes, it's one that um, immediately stood out to me at the launch period of um, of Apple Arcade, Sneaky Sasquatch, mm. and that's. I don't know, it just looks like a weird, stealthy, grabby, grab things, stealth away. It, I, it's something that I've been keen to jump a little bit further into because the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so that I played mm. it back then was really, really appealing. So I'll be keen to jump into that in a little more depth for the next episode. And I think it's well worth diving back into for anyone who um, played it on launch because uh, the developers, uh, Vancouver-based duo known as RAC7 Games... Uh, they've been providing a steady supply of updates and content mm. updates to Sneaky Sasquatch. Uh, and the most recent update was as recent as two weeks ago. So mm. uh, there's likely a fair bit there for, for you, Stephen, to dive into that you haven't seen, yeah. as well as those who you know previously may have only played it close to launch. But then the other game that we're playing is another one that we feel will be a bit thematically heavy, but is also very thematically relevant uh, because at the moment here in Australia, a lot of the the country is experiencing catastrophic bushfires, especially in regional areas and those uh, where forests and bushland and scrub and that sort of thing. Um, It's it's a New Zealand-developed game by Flightless, who also developed the minimalist real-time strategy element, which Mm. also has sort of earth resource management and the way that we look after the planet sort of vibes to it but this game which as of recording came out yesterday i believe oh, uh, it's so a, that recent yeah that recent it's a game called doomsday vault which is a game about how essentially earth's gone to heck mm. and you're going around trying to recover and nurture the last remaining plant life it's yeah it's one it's interesting, both the games that we've got are both about collecting things and taking them away, but in an extremely <laughs> different, uh, context. different context and yes. possibly different mood. Although I feel this one, it looks pleasant enough in aesthetic that it probably won't be 
it'll be thematically a little bit uh, of a bummer, but I think at least um, visually and you know the way it plays, it looks like it might have a little bit more of a positive um, outlook than, mm. say, the Mosaic did. I think it'll it'll uh, endear a more hopeful message yes. than, um, yeah, perhaps what we've <laughs> experienced as of late. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, yes, very. this one looks very good fun. I'm very keen to jump into Doomsday Vault as well. Yes, and I think um, just just before we wrap up and sign off, just on the note of the the bushfires that um, you know, regardless of whether you're based in Australia or in the uh, the US, which most of our listeners are in the US, um, but uh, if you're elsewhere in the world, that there are many many places that are accepting uh, financial donations and also locals here donation of goods uh, to help with the firefighting efforts so if you are in a position to be able to support those in need then um, yeah please uh, please donate if you're able to absolutely and i'll try and make sure to include a link in the show notes to a, a nice list of reputable places that you can contribute to should you have the means and desire to do so indeed and so thank you for listening to another episode of the Mobile Arcade Club. If you've, if you've made it to the end, then I think you deserve a hearty congratulations because it's been a heavy episode. So thank you very much for yeah. sticking around. Thank you for sticking around. Thanks for your support. And we will see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Mobile Arcade Club. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out heaps. You can follow the show on Twitter at MRCadeClub. There you can share thoughts or feedback you have about the show, as well as chat about the club games or maybe even games you'd like to share with the show. You can follow Chris and myself too if you'd like. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.